In this episode, we will be looking at alternative forms of software engineering. Episode 6 of the Pilgrim Engineering Architecture Technology, otherwise known as Pete UK podcast. And I'm going to be talking to you about alternative software engineering in this episode. So I'll cover the definitions of software engineering, developer operations, otherwise known as DevOps, and platform engineering. And what does this mean? So let's start with a definition of software engineering. So let's start to say there's disagreement and agreement on what the definition of software engineering is. So generally, software engineers are the people like me, a developer, designer, or architect, who has the responsibility to turn the business requirements, the purpose, the intent, of the stakeholder into working and executable application software. And that's what we do for a living. A software engineer can be full-time employed or a contractor uh, or even a consultant. Uh, and their responsibility remains the same. The term software engineer is interchangeable controversially with programmer, although I consider myself more than a programmer these days, um, and also software developer. Uh, you will find software engineer and software developer sort of interchangeable in the IT industry in late 2017, although these terms have been interchangeable for uh, several decades now. Okay, so... An engineer follows some sort of methodology, methodology, and that could be waterfall, traditional, that's going to take a considerable amount of time. So, for example, in waterfall, you start with the business requirements on a long phase, then you then work on the design phase, then the next phase is the construction phase, and then uh, you have the maintenance and testing phase. So these all have to do with a software development life cycle. And it generally is the same regardless if you are an, a developer or a programmer. Um, in modern parlance, most people who are we would consider you to be unfortunate if you're still working with Waterfall. Um, however, I should strike that and say there are many people who out there who are perfectly able software engineers who work in what I would call exploratory and investigative programming. And that doesn't mean that their work is any 
has less meaning than the work I do or anybody else's. So for example, exploratory programming can be working at CERN in nuclear science, uh, down there in Lausanne. It could be in the games industry. Uh, games industry is uh, infamous for not having any form of testing and get the code out there. Uh, so the idea of gaming is to, to just run the thing and make sure that it actually gets out the door. Although even that is changing as games themselves are, are now living entities. It's not just releasing the software. They have a life cycle uh, that is comparable to operating systems like Mac OS or iOS or Android or the various, various Unitsys and Windows operating systems. So ideas are changing. So generally, uh, software engineers, the basic concept of the engineer is to work with application software and build applications with it. So that's it. Alternative software engineering is, and what I'm talking about is the growth and the understanding that we need developer operations, DevOps, as it's now known. There's a, an adjunct to developer operations called security developer operations, SEC DevOps, or even security ops, SEC ops. Um, I know less about, admittedly, SEC DevOps and SEC Ops, uh, but they are equally valid, and maybe we should get an expert who can talk about this um, in more detail. So, developer operations, what is that? I will explain. So, actually, I find the most useful uh, definition of developer ops or DevOps actually uh, from Amazon Web Services. And, so it stands for operations. I should really drill down into what operations is. Most people will already know what development is. This is working with this software. You are responsible for compiling Java or interpreting Ruby. You're responsible for building the application using, using unit tests and or F possible or functional tests. Enter uh, end tests and smoke tests, whatever you need, your responsibility as a developer is to translate those business requirements into workable software in, in, so that it can be de delivered into production. So, operations. Operations is from an older world which is fast disappearing or fast disappearing. Um, let's go all the way back to before the millennium. It was common to ask or recruit a database administrator, a DBA, to manage a Sybase or Oracle database or DB, IBM DB2 database. It, it, this was a, quite a common requirement. And so that person would manage and support and build the database operations and help the developers and also the managers and, and the rest of the team. 
in other terms, a, a different way of looking at operations is someone who looks after the web logic server that sat in the database center or the web sphere, the dreaded IBM web sphere server that sat in some database center um, or even in the upstairs executive office in some cabinet. And the person on, was responsible for deploying applications, telling you where to deploy your war file and what password you need, what credentials. They would set up things like message queues, connections to database, how many bootable enterprise Java beans you would need, that were needed for the application. They were responsible. So you also have application server specialists. Uh, who looked after the software. And then the, you had also the system administrators who not only were responsible for installing WebLogic 5 or Oracle Database number 6 uh, or MySQL, whatever it is, or Sybase, they looked after the Unix systems uh, in the enterprise data system, which could be Solaris or HP Unix or IBM AIX, whatever it is, they were responsible for making sure that the, these uh, enterprise applications were running uh, on those servers using whatever shell scripts, whatever Perl language tools, um, whatever it took to run the system, they were responsible. So, yes, they had to write bash shell scripts to execute the, the application server, install commands, and they generally uh, were responsible for also um, setting up the login and infrastructure warning bells. So... A long, long, long time ago, I was exposed to this. Uh, I was told to write an application uh, with both Java and also shell script and that used a propriety product, which some of you or very few of you would know, called Control-M. And all it did was log or monitor your log files. So it was really quite straightforward for us Java developers. Uh, long before Log4j, we just sent, uh, I wrote a little logger that sent and wrote uh, logging output to a file somewhere on the operating system. So this is predates even open source, which is amazing. And that was how we did it at the turn of the century. I forget which project it was, something to do with Y2K, which never came about, um, which even before the, the millennium. Uh, so that generally, that's what operations is or was. Um, what Amazon and Netflix and all the cloud native and the leading edge cloud companies actually what get their people to do is they came up with this concept of 
of unity and merging developers and operations together. And, and this has something to do with Conway's law. So let me give you a definition of Conway's law. Okay, a definition of Conway's law. It's an adage named after a renowned computer programmer called Melvin Conway, who came up the, with the idea 50 years ago. It, it was dubbed Conway's law and back then. It goes like this. Organizations which design systems are constrained to produce designs which are copied of the communication structures of these organizations. M. Conway. And what this means is that there's devil in the details. Um, it's translated as a, in another way. If he, there is a team that has to build a compiler and you have and the management declares that the compiler will be built in three stages, you will get a three-stage compiler. In other words, software follows the function of the people and the organizational structures that build it. A very important architectural law in computer science. So let's get back to developer operations and why Amazon and Netflix chose this as their mantra. Well, Netflix in particular, uh, were moving from physical uh, delivery of CDs to, and DVDs rather, to their customers, digital video discs to their customers, and were trying out cloud streaming services streaming services for the very first time about almost eight nine years ago now and they had a problem their database center and their monolithic application was proven to be so inefficient they decided to migrate to the cloud so what this has to do with operations is that the cloud is elastic, elastically scalable. It's designed for high availability. In other words, they, were, they found and encountered that new rules had to be written in order to achieve the benefit of the software that they were building, which was streaming video to customers over the internet and they found that having developers understand what operations did the people who used to monitor were monitor databases and servers and infrastructure was very helpful and conversely the people who were building infrastructure and database systems and deploying them and provisioning them got benefit from working with developers who were up to date with their agile practices and so the benefit of course is the perceived benefit empirically is the speed of delivery it's supposed to be rapid because FAA 
if the team uh, of DevOps practices peer engineering, peer development, there is knowledge share, which adds reliability into the mix. Of course, you're aiming for scale efficiently, the ability to operate and manage the infrastructure by allowing developers to automate um, certain processes so that you get the benefit of scaling. Um, collaboration, improve functionality. I would add to that empathy, emotional uh, support. And then because people have knowledge, then the benefit of, uh, of adding or defining security, uh, having some certain rules of thumb and adding security at the beginning of the development becomes a real uh, game changer. Uh, so there is, I mean, it is a fair bit to say that developer operations is the way that Netflix and Spotify and these other people do it is at the moment something that many companies are aiming for. It doesn't mean that they actually get there. Yes, so it's difficult. It's hard for companies to achieve developer operations. If, for example, you're still working with monolithic Java EE applications. Okay, so the way many organizations many organizations actually get there is by having a continuous integration pipeline, a build pipeline. And many, almost certainly all companies have this um, requirement already built and it will come through uh, open source software such as Jenkins or commercial software such as TeamCity or through Atlassian's Bamboo. Uh, and then they will be um, some sort of bug tracker, defect tracker, uh, agile tool to go with it, such as Jira, uh, uh, Atlas in Jira. It could be Pivotal Tracker from Pivotal. It could be um, Raleigh's own software or, or stuff software as simple as the, the application that I've seen on Chrome. Redmine, I think it is, and there are so many. Um, there are loads. Um, there's Track, there's U-Track. There's, uh, I already mentioned Pivotal Tracker, uh, Bugzilla, Roundup, you name it. There's tons of them. Uh, I guess the, the, the main thing is that you use some sort of issue tracker for bug lists. So this is a side requirement really to develop operations or DevOps. And it's the reason why we're moving this way is that DevOps essentially is the beginning path for automation. And, and by automation, it's what we're talking about is continuous delivery. So continuous delivery is a software development practice where code changes are automatically are built um, and they're tested and prepared from the actual release to production. And that's the general idea and hence why people are interested in Jenkins. Uh, what I 
tend to find there is some, for many institutions, that is the dream, um, the actual reality, there, there is change control, otherwise known as four eyes, there actually, is, uh, when people are first building the application, this continuous delivery isn't quite ready or there because actually the production team and the testing team want to make sure that the code actually works. Um, in highly agile and highly performant uh, organizations, they have already done away with this uh, through the A-B testing, uh, different uh, networking, VPCs and groups and security groups and Amazon or what is it called and or, uh, regions on, not just necessarily regions on Azure, but you get the idea they have provisioned a different network or a different way of having availability without affecting the main application. And that brings us fold into microservices, which is why I berated the monolithic Java EE application server uh, or anything that is sort of one stage monolithic, uh, which isn't a microservice at all. Um, in order to, to have developer operations in a way that Spotify Amazon, Netflix, and other people are building software, you need microservices. The controversy is, is how big is a microservice, but let's not uh, let that discussion distract, uh, dis, um, dis actually deflect us from the discussion of alternative software engineering uh, practices and idioms. I think we should have a break. So let's break. Welcome back, and yeah, so we were talking about developer operations, alternative software engineering disciplines, 
uh, especially developer operations, DevOps, and I came to microservices. The other part that we do, uh, developers are, are, are taking care of, is something called infrastructure as code. And what this means is that uh, because we are building um, and provisioning software for the cloud, we need to ensure that the infrastructure is managed in the same way that we build application code or support code for our applications. So we can take such as peer development, unit testing, uh, behavior-driven tests, and all that good stuff that we know in the application developer world into the infrastructure world as well. So we can run Java, uh, Scala, Ruby, Clojure, Groovy, whatever you like, in order to not uh, tackle the domain of applications, uh, which is really what the business requires, uh, for and, and it's the purpose, the actual business domain. But here, with infrastructure as code, we are tackling and targeting the actual infrastructure to make sure that it, it is fit for purpose, forbidding uh, uh, provisioning the microservices and, and the application in its entirety. So we use... So when I say we, because let me tell you that now I am moving beyond, I suppose, traditional software development myself, um, the actual software application into what is known as platform engineering, which is more than developer operations. So we need a, def a definition of a platform engineer. So I will come up with my definition, which is, I, I suppose, a green definition. And the definition is essentially we platform engineers are designing and developing and architecting the infrastructure around these distributed uh, computer applications in the cloud or in any other sort of data, distributed data center management system, which usually is the cloud, by the way. And so what platforms are engineers attempt to do is to provide the 12 factors uh, and to make sure that to have a reliable, accountable, and a provisionable system that is fit for deployments, we need to automate. Um, so we use things like version control, like GitHub, Bitbucket, uh, Mercurial, whatever is needed, just in the same way as many of you application developers. And we are also using the same continuous integration tools such as Jenkins to, to make sure that the platform is correct. So let me dig a bit deeper into platform. Uh, for many platform engineers, uh, this will be the Amazon Web Services um, platform. Uh, if you're looking at infrastructure as a service, IIS, 
uh, it would also f mean from a PaaS, so platform as a service, that's what PaaS stands for. So things like Heroku, Pivotal, uh, Cloud Foundry, OpenStack, that's generally what platform engineers take care of as well. And so we use this thing called infrastructure as, as code to develop cloud-driven API models so that systems and system administrators and the old meaning of the word can interact with the cloud operating system programmatically and at scale so what we're trying to do is to get rid of the human input to manually manage these systems we as platform engineers generally just want to press a button, uh, go to a jump box and deploy the entire infrastructure that a business needs. And so they can be up and running in the cloud in no time at all. That is, the, I suppose, the holy grail. Uh, the difficulty is, is that for many of us in working in this space, you will come up against digital transformation. So let's describe digital transformation. This is a marketing term, which means that our businesses are trying to move from, say, physical paper and bureaucratical business to getting all of their business functionality their mission-critical business operation into the digital space, uh, which is online, on-demand, at scale, and high availability. Problem is that many businesses are not quite there yet. They are still uh, have traditional databases and data centers. And so there's a mix and match at the moment of the old and the new. Um, the C-level executives really want to, generally, if they understand technology, want to move to the new world of having documents in AWS, Azure, or any other cloud infrastructure, but they can't get there because it, will, it, it really is change management. That's what digital transformation is, and it's very difficult. That said, so the dream is to one day... Uh, provision, say, I don't know, Red Hat, OpenShift, or Pivotal Cloud Foundry, or whatever your cloud provider is, and be able to uh, execute the application in the cloud. And, and when we think about cloud, it's not um, executing directly against Amazon Web Service APIs or Azure. Uh, generally, these applications, enterprise applications, might be Java or Scala, tend to use the same uh, SDK or open source libraries that abstract away the actual connection to the database. So that might be JDBC or JPA. Uh, it might be a message queue. Uh, there are certain things that are not quite there yet in the Java EE world. Uh, 
such as uh, distributed caching, Redis, Hazel cars, where even put, there, it's hard to, there, it, there will be some kind of vendor lock-in. Um, however, for most businesses, one has to consider what would happen uh, to the cloud application should Amazon suddenly disappear or become expensive. So there is some sort of abstraction in the process and service level agreements and contract negotiations going on to, in theory, if not practically, uh, move from one cloud native solution to another solution in the space of, say, 12 months. Can it be done for some institutions? And it has to be possible or be testable. Um, and so cloud, cloud engineering and platform engineering, I suppose, solves this age-old requirement of disaster recovery. Um, so going back in the day, uh, even 10 years ago, we, there were certain days where an investment bank had to prepare for disaster recovery. What if the data center went down? Um, in modern parlance, this looks like nonsense, but because platform engineers, if they have the political will and they're going about the right, going about building software in the right way, it should be uh, practically impossible to lock you into the in a, into a situation where you find your uh, enterprise infrastructure in the in some sort of place where it's impossible or very difficult to have a disaster recovery solution. You are cloud by definition. You should be able to get out of uh, and, and spin up a Amazon availability zone without question and without fail. Um, that's just the way it is. You are already designing for failure. So this is generally what platform engineers are, are all about. It's about something a little bit more than developer operations where you're looking at the infrastructure or and supporting the entire platform and the reason why i kind of like this role because it's providing architectural substance so not only uh, in my view i've seen too much of the business side of what you, we are what the business are trying to build which is an e-commerce shopping car or a warehouse or the actual uh, inventory system or ordering system a packaging system whatever it is or uh, even managing passports that doesn't explain the actual assembly, the building blocks of the architecture. Why do you need three instances of Redis when one will do, or three uh, instances of Amazon relational database store? Why do you need a key value store distributed or S3? Isn't it problematic? What about store? How do you save your security keys? How do you generate uh, SSL security certificates and provision them? How do you secure these services? 
this is all new and very interesting for me, which stretches my my knowledge of applications and why I find this particularly an exciting field. Um, there is something a bit more to, beyond platform engineering, which is a entirely newer role called site reliability engineer. It's sort of the same sort of um, role. However, this is when you have a steady state function where you actually have a, a cloud provision application that needs to stay up for high availability, high availability. High availability. You've already built it. You've done the hard work. You've got your application. It's been in production for about a year. Many of us have yet to get to this state of the art, which is why it's a higher, uh, maybe uh, site reliability is something for another podcast episode, especially if I get more experience. However, I believe I've covered alternative software engineering practices beyond traditional applications. I talked about developer operations, operations, uh, uh, developer, most people will know, and now I've covered infrastructure as code and platform engineering. Um, that's all for now. So thank you very much for listening. I bid you adieu and have a good day. Whatever you do, enjoy. Thank you. Bye. This is another fine edition of Pilgrim Engineering Architecture Technology UK podcast. This is written by Peter Pilgrim and spoken by Peter Pilgrim Music. Also the same, this license under Creative Commons license. Uh, you can copy the, the data, the information, but you must always attribute source. You can find me on my blog at www.zenonique.co.uk and follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Pilgrim. Like, shares, comments, always appreciated, lads and ladettes. Enjoy. Bye.